you are about to listen to a sermon from Common Ground Church in Rapid City, South Dakota. We hope to see you in person. For more information, visit commongroundcma.org. Tell you what, uh, we're going to start off this morning. I, I think I need I need to start off this morning just praying. I know Nick just prayed, um, but I need to prepare my heart. And so I know this is a super selfish thing, but. Um, if you would join me as I pray for our time here this morning. Uh, Lord, um, getting to stand in this place, in this pulpit, um, I am very aware of the fact that at this moment we are about to step between two worlds. We're about to step between the world that we see every day, the world that we know every day, the world that we wake up and groan to every day, and your world. And so I pray that you would um, not distract us with me uh, or with anything that's here, but that we would see you. Thank you, Lord, for what you're about to do. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Um, so uh, this week, uh, I, anybody here ever been to Chicago? Raise your hand. Okay, wait. Now keep that up. I've got to see this. That's a lot of people have been to Chicago. Okay, give me your give me your thoughts on Chicago. Anybody? What do you think about Chicago? Go. Pizza. Pizza. We had we had uh, yeah um, we had pizza at a real Italian like a real real place with real Italians there, and uh, and I wanted to leave there, and the guy said uh, guy said hey, thanks for coming in, and I want to say God bless you and your family. That's what I wanted to say on the way out, and I just couldn't. So, but anyways, okay, go ahead, Jonas. Uh, describe. What do you mean? Buildings tall, crazy. <laughs> tall, crazy buildings. Okay. Okay. This was Jonas's first time in Chicago. His first time in Chicago. Okay. What about the rest of you guys? What else? Go ahead, Anthony. No efficiency plan as far as traffic or the movement of people. It's absolutely ridiculous. I've been to so many places across the world, and to get like. 20 miles outside the city of Chicago at the wrong time, it's next to impossible. You might as well just walk or take a hang glider. You might as well walk or take a hang glider. Yes, actually, absolutely. This is one of the things I love about Chicago. I'm going to talk about that in a second. What else? Go ahead, Don. The museums are fantastic. Yep, Shed Aquarium. Anybody been to Shed Aquarium? That's a it's an amazing place, right? Okay. What else? Go ahead, Stephen. No, you grew up in Gary, so don't be talking about how you lived in Chicago. Because okay, whatever. Yep. There's no place like home. Yep. Yeah, but there's a, that's a lot that happens in that 20 miles. <laughs> It is a fun place to be. Anybody been there? Oh, go ahead, Sally. It's beautiful waterfront. Beautiful waterfront. Yeah. Um, anybody been there recently besides my fam? Okay. One of the things. What? What, Jonas? The, the fountains were crazy. The fountains were pretty crazy. There was faces on. Yeah. Yeah. I wish I could pull up a picture. There was some. Uh, there was some gigantic art fountains that they built where there were huge projection faces, and then they would spray water out of their mouths. It was the weirdest thing ever. It was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, well, Chicago is actually one of my favorite cities in the United States. Not because I hate the traffic too. I'm with you on that, Anthony. I'm with you on that. The traffic is horrible, but I love it because if you've been to it, it's this super cool mix of like old and new. Right, you got these ancient buildings, and then they stack all these modern structures around them. And even like uh, the football stadium that hosts one of the worst teams ever um, has this like beautiful, this beautiful 
school front, and then it's got all of this brand spanking new stuff just stuck inside of it. And it's this huge mix of old and new. But the one thing that hit me like a ton of bricks while we were there this week is that uh, when we started walking in there, uh, or walking around there, you cannot help but feel like your South Dakota is showing. Some of you guys are laughing because you know what I mean. You cannot help but feel like your South Dakota is showing. As soon as you start driving, you want to use your blinker. Even though nobody in South Dakota uses their blinker, but for some reason you want to use your blinker. Is it a wise thing to use your blinker in Chicago? No. You just look and you go, or you just go. You don't even look. You just go. You start thinking horns are like somebody's offended, right? Is it somebody's offended in Chicago? No, in fact, they're actually being quite polite, telling you, hey, come on, we, we, we're in this together. Like, they're, they're trying to be supportive of you, and that's what, the, that's what the horn is. But we were walking around, and as you're walking around, taking a look at, um, you know, taking pictures with the bean and doing the rest of the touristy stuff, and then walking into these bustling buildings with these professionals walking in all around you and um, and walking down Michigan Avenue surrounded by high-end shoppers and I mean there's like Tiffany and company there right like there's these people that are walking out with Tiffany stuff and as you're walking around there you can't help but sit back and say man I am from a whole different world Rapid City South Dakota is a whole different world than Chicago Illinois And it only takes you 13, maybe 14, depending on traffic, 15 hours to get there. And you can go from this place, this world, to a whole new dimension, just in a drive. And when we were walking around, we felt like, and I could see this in my kids' eyes, I think for the first time they had ever felt like country bumpkins. Like the Beverly Hillbillies uh, theme song was playing behind them, and like we felt like we all showed up with that one blackened tooth and all of the, you know, all of the the things on your cheek and your, or the, the big straw hanging out, and you're like, hey, how's it going, everybody? I'm in Chicago, right? Like that was that was what they felt like. It's a strange experience. It really, really is. But it's a very cool one. It's a very cool experience because what it does is it forces you to see like. There is a lot of cultural assumption about where I live and a lot of cultural assumption about where these people live. They might look at us like, man, you're weird. And we look at them like, man, you're weird. And it, all it takes is to step outside of your comfort zone and see a whole other world. Uh, today, in our series in the Minor Prophets, we're studying Amos. And Amos is a country bumpkin who steps into a whole new world. He steps between two worlds, and his message to this world that he's stepping into has to do with the disparity not between his world and their world, but also between their world and God's world. And he's talking about how everything's flipped around on its head, and how everything's upside down, and how everything's right side up, and there's this world, there's there's these two worlds that are standing in tension with each other, and it's a message about being trapped in between these two worlds, and a world of possibilities in between all of them, and it can kind of kind of sound confusing. So hopefully, what we're going to do is we're going to set the stage. Like I've told you guys, we're going to watch a video that will give you the context of the entire book every every time that we preach one of these messages. And then I'm going to focus in on one chapter. We're going to talk about some stuff that's in there. 
And so this video is going to be uh, something that's going to help prepare all of us uh, and give us a good foundation about what is the book of Amos all about. Um, these are from the Bible Project from uh, the Read Scripture app. If you're using the Read Scripture app to read through the prophets, uh, it's a great tool. If you haven't used it, I would highly recommend it. Um, also, the Bible Project is full of all these great tools. If you haven't used them, I would highly recommend them. Um, but these videos are what you call explainer videos, and they just give you the context of the book. So let's go ahead and queue up that video, and here we go. The book of the prophet Amos. Amos was a shepherd and a fig tree farmer who lived right near the border between northern Israel and southern Judah. Now the north had seized its independence about 150 years earlier, remember 1 Kings chapter 12, and it was currently being ruled by Jeroboam II, a successful military leader. He won lots of battles and new territory for Israel, and he generated lots of wealth, but in the eyes of the prophets, he was one of the worst kings ever. His wealth had led to apathy, and he allowed idol worship for the gods of Canaan, which in turn led to injustice and the neglect of the poor. And it got to the point where Amos couldn't take it anymore. He sensed God calling him to go trek up north to Bethel, an important city that had a large temple, and start announcing God's word to the people. And this book is a collection of his sermons and poems and visions uttered over the years. They were compiled later to give God's people a sense of his divine message to the northern kingdom. And it's a message we still need to hear today. The book has a fairly clear design. Chapters 1 and 2 are a series of messages to the nations and Israel. Then chapters 3 to 6 are a collection of poems that express Amos' message to the people of Israel and its leaders. Chapters 7 through 9 contain a series of visions that Amos experienced that depict God's coming judgment on Israel. Let's just dive in. So the book opens with a series of short poems that accuse all of Israel's neighbors of violence and injustice. And this is kind of odd, because the book's opening line said that Amos was going to speak against Israel. But watch how this works. As Amos is naming all of these neighboring nations, you can go look at a map and see that he's creating a circle. And when he's done, Israel lies right in the center, like a target in the crosshairs. And on Israel, Amos unleashes a poetic accusation that's three times longer and more intense than any of these others. He accuses Israel's wealthy of ignoring the poor and allowing grave injustice in their land, specifically by allowing the poor to be sold into debt slavery and then going on to deny any of these people legal representation. And this, Amos asks, is this the family that was once denied justice and enslaved in Egypt? The family that God rescued from oppression and slavery? The party's over, Amos says. God is done putting up with you. And so the opening of the next section explains why. God says, I chose you, Israel, from among all the families of the earth. This is an allusion to Genesis 12, how God had called the family of Abraham to become God's blessing to all of the nations. And so then God says, so this is why I will punish you for all of your sins. Israel had a great calling, which came with great responsibility, and so their sin and rebellion brings great consequences. Now, this section brings together a lot of Amos' poems, and you'll see a few key themes repeated over and over. So first, he's constantly exposing the religious hypocrisy of Israel's wealthy and their leaders, and he describes how they faithfully attend the religious gatherings, giving offerings and sacrifices, all the while neglecting the poor and ignoring injustice. 
And Amos says it's all a sham. That God actually hates their worship because it's totally disconnected from how they treat people. God says a real relationship with him will transform a person's relationships. And so Amos' call to true worship is to let justice flow like a river and righteousness like a never-failing stream. Now these two words, they're super important for Amos and actually all of the prophets. So righteousness, or in Hebrew, tzedakah, refers to a standard of right, equitable relationships between people, no matter their social differences. And justice, or in Hebrew, mishpat, refers to concrete actions that you take to correct injustice and create righteousness. And so both of these are to permeate the life of God's covenant people like a rushing stream fills a dry riverbed. The next theme is Amos' repeated accusations of Israel's idolatry. So remember, when the northern kingdom broke away from southern Judah, their king built two new temples to rival Solomon's in Jerusalem. And he placed a golden calf in each. Remember 1 Kings chapter 12. Since then, Israel had only accumulated more idols, worshipping the gods of sex and weather and war. And in the prophet's view, the worship of these gods always led to injustice. Because these gods don't require the same degree of justice and righteousness as the God of Israel, not to mention that these gods were immoral themselves. Not the God of Israel. He's different. So he can say in one place, seek me that you may live. And then right after that, say to Israel, seek good, not evil, that you may live. So true worship of the creator God of Israel, it's synonymous with doing good, with generosity and with justice. And so the final theme in these chapters is that because Israel and its king have rejected Amos and the other prophets, God will send the day of the Lord. This is a great and terrible act of justice on Israel. And specifically, Amos predicts that a powerful nation will come and conquer and decimate their cities and take the people away into exile. And we know his prediction came true. Some 40 years later, the Assyrian Empire swooped in and did exactly as Amos had said. The book closes with a series of visions that Amos experienced, and they're symbolic depictions of the coming day of the Lord. So he sees Israel devastated by a locust swarm, and then by a scorching fire, and then they're being swallowed up like overripe fruit. And in the final vision, Amos sees God violently striking the pillars of Israel's great idol temple at Bethel, and the whole building comes crumbling down. It's an image of God's justice on the leaders and the gods of Israel. Their end has finally come. But then, all of a sudden, in the final paragraph, we see a glimmer of hope. It picks up this image of Israel as a destroyed building, and God says that out of the ruins, he will one day restore the house of David. In other words, he's going to bring the future messianic king from David's line, and he will rebuild the family of God's people, which, surprisingly, we're told, is going to include people from all of the nations. All of the devastation caused by Israel's sin and God's judgment will that day be reversed. Now this final paragraph is super important. It's the only sign of hope on the other side of judgment. And it helps us see how this book is exploring the relationship between God's justice and his mercy. If God is good, he has to confront and judge evil among Israel and the nations. But his long-term purposes are to restore his world and build a new covenant family. And so through Amos' words, we still today hear his call to learn from Israel's hypocrisy and disaster and to embrace a true worship of this God, which should always lead to justice and righteousness and loving our neighbor. And that's what the book of Amos is all about. 
So, there you go. You've got now a great uh, foundation for the book of Amos. Uh, Amos, just like every other prophet in the, in the Old Testament, every, particularly every minor prophet, what these prophets do is they draw lines in the sand. They say, hey, here, oftentimes in America and in maybe um, westernized Christianity as a whole, we think prophecy has something to do with the future. And sometimes it does. But oftentimes prophets and people who have the gift of prophecy, which still exists today in our midst, are people who are about telling God's truth in, a, in such a way that it causes you to make a decision. And I don't know if you've ever met anybody that actually does this, where there are people who they cannot help but, they're not angry all the time or anything like that, but they can't help but talk to you about God's word and what he says about certain things, drawing lines in the sand. Sometimes these people can be incredibly hard to be around. Sometimes I've even heard uh, somebody claim the gift of prophecy just for, uh, just for justification for being a jerk. Right? But that's not what we're talking about. I'm talking about somebody who encourages you in the power of the Holy Spirit to make choices, to, sh- to see the world the way God sees it, and to make choices and move on that activity, like have action based on that particular reality. Now the reality of this message, Amos chapter, uh, Amos, is that it's incredibly, it's actually incredibly deep and powerful and ultimately very convicting for our day and age. The video made a really good job of, or did a really good job of making this point, that the king that they're under, King Jeroboam, he, he's the, in the eyes of the prophets and in the eyes of God, he is the worst. He's the worst. In fact, every other king is kind of compared to him afterwards going, and they continued in the line of Jeroboam, doing exactly what he did, doing the things that were horrible by setting up more idol worship. And what Jeroboam's platform for as a political leader was, was he was setting up idol worship. People were able to go to as many gods as they wanted in order to get things. And the result from the people's mind, they could see it, the result was prosperity and peace. And so they looked at him as a leader and went, man, he is a truly godly leader. He's a truly godly leader because he's allowing us to do all the things that seem to be working. We're worshiping all these other gods, all these other idols, and what's happening is our land is getting prosperous. Unlike when we were worshiping that God of Israel, that Yahweh guy, every time we worship him, man, things would fall apart and we would end up being ransacked. And so they think, the people think that the king is a really, really good king. But in God's words, they're like, no, this is not good. And so this is incredibly convicting because in our culture, we oftentimes associate leaders with those who will allow us to um, have, have, have prosperity and peace in our lives. We will gravitate towards sometimes speakers and pastors and preachers or uh, political leaders even that will bring in prosperity into our lives because that's what we want, is we want our lives to be good and whole and Um, full of all of the good things in life and full of financial security and peace and wonder. But the wealth and the power of Israel has prompted them to become oppressive and apathetic to the needs of the humanity around them. causes them to be apathetic to the needs of humanity around them. Now in steps Amos. And Amos is stepping from his world as a simple shepherd uh, into this lavish land of prosperity and party culture. 
to give a message of choice. And so what we're going to do is we're going to focus on Amos chapter 5. And I want to show you some things in Amos chapter 5 and some actually really intriguing things. Well, some of the most, as I was reading through Amos, this was by far the most powerful to me as I was reading through it. I I could not help but get off of one particular line, one or two lines in this this little poem here. So Amos chapter 5 is where we're going to be. Find it in your Bible. If you didn't bring a Bible, we have some for you. Uh, If you did bring them, then great, that's wonderful. If you don't have one, snuggle up with somebody, grab a Bible, or open up your app or whatever. Um, But we're going to read Amos chapter 5. I'm going to read the whole chapter. And then I'm going to pick it apart, and, uh, and I've got a challenge for you this week. So here it is. Hear this word, O house of Israel, and this lament I take up concerning, concerning you. Fallen is virgin Israel, never to rise again, deserted in her own land, with no one to lift her up. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. The city that marches out a thousand strong for Israel will have only a hundred left. The town that marches out a hundred strong will have only ten left. This is what the Lord says to the house of Israel. Seek me and live. Do not seek Bethel. Do not go to Gilgal. Do not journey to Beersheba. For Gilgal will surely go into exile. And Bethel will be reduced to nothing. Those cities he's talking about, Bethel, Gilgal, and Beersheba, those are all places where there are temples to other gods. To other gods. Verse 6. Seek the Lord and live, where He will sweep through the house of Joseph like a fire. It will devour, and Bethel will have no one to quench it. You who turn justice into bitterness and cast righteousness to the ground. He who made the Pleiades and Orion, who turns blackness into dawn and darkness day into night, and who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out over the face of the land. The Lord is His name. He flashes destruction on the stronghold and brings the fortified city to ruin. You hate the one who reproves in court and despise him who tells the truth. You trample on the poor and force them to give you grain. Therefore, though you have built stone mansions, you will not live in them. Though you have planted lush vineyards, you will not drink their wine. For I know how many are your offenses and how great your sins. You oppress the righteous and take bribes. And you deprive the poor of justice in the courts. Therefore, the prudent man keeps quiet in such times, for the times are evil. Seek good, not evil, that you may live. Then the Lord God Almighty will be with you, just as you say He is. Hate evil, love good, maintain justice in the courts. Perhaps the Lord God Almighty will have mercy on the remnant of Joseph. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the Lord of God Almighty says, there will be wailing in all the streets and cries of anguish in every public square. The farmers will be summoned to weep and the mourners to wail. There will be wailing in all the vineyards, for I will pass through your midst, says the Lord. Just a little bit more. Woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. Why do you long for the day of the Lord? That day will be darkness, not light. It will be as though a man fled from a lion only to meet a bear. As though he entered his house and rested his hand on the wall only to have a snake bite him. Will not the day of the Lord be darkness, not light, pitch dark without a ray of brightness? I hate, I despise your religious feasts. I cannot stand your assemblies. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. But let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. Did you bring me sacrifices and offerings forty years in the desert, O house of Israel? You have lifted up the shrine of your king, the pedestal of your idols, the star of your God, which you made for yourselves. Therefore I will send you into exile beyond Damascus, says the Lord, whose name is God Almighty. Now this passage is something that, this is the line. 
This is, this is where Amos is taking his staff and he's drawing a line in the sand saying, you are there, God is here, make a choice right now. The people of God have run after other gods. They cling to idols of the nations around them and they run to these gods for their protection, provision, and prosperity. And yet God calls them to holiness and sacrifice and, and He calls them to the good of their neighbor, but the other gods allow them to have all that they desire, pleasure, prosperity, power, all the while harming their neighbors and oppressing their neighbors and not pursuing justice and not feeding those who are hungry and not taking care of those. In fact, they're exacting grain. They're taking grain away from those who are hungry. They're actually eating all of the food. That's what's happening. They're eating all the food and and those who are starving have none left. And this in God's sight is the worst thing as people can do. Not only have they stopped coming to Him, not only have they stopped coming to Him, Not only have they broken relationship with God Almighty, but they have stopped acting as image bearers of God on this earth. Now this is something you have to kind of read between the lines, but this is what uh, the Bible Project video was referring to. You and I have been created as image bearers of God. What that means is, we are reflections of God and His character. We are intended to be the people who look at God and as we get to know Him, as we have a relationship with Him, we will act like Him. We will act like Him. And this world that He has created, the way that He has meant it to be, the way that He has built it to be, this is supposed to be a world where righteousness flows, where justice happens, and when injustice happens, that is contrary to the way that God has created this world. And what's happening here is, humanity is the best way to phrase it, humanity is disrupting the cosmic order. God has created us to be His people who reflect Him. And when people take their image-reflecting nature away and try to go reflect another God, whether that be something that sits in a temple or just something that we run after with all of our hearts, when we reflect that thing, oppression happens, injustice happens, evil spreads, this world starts to be destroyed. And that is what is happening in this book. The people of Israel have walked away from their God-given, God-ordained, God-called position as an image-bearer of God, and have said, no, thank you. I would rather bear the image of these other gods. And as they bear the image of those other gods, injustice happens, evil spreads, and this world starts to fall apart. They're disrupting the cosmic order. That's what we truly, that's what we, uh, we, we normally call sin. And I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but that is what sin is. Sin is not simply choices that you make and choices that you don't make, although it does include that. Sin is not simply, uh, you know, swearing versus not swearing, or drinking versus not drinking, or voting Democrat versus not, or whatever, right? Like whatever you invent. What if it's not just these simple choices, these lists of do's and don't do's. Sin has something bigger than that. It's also about who we are being, what our heart is beating after, what our thoughts are dwelling on, what we are running after with all of our heart. If we are running after pleasure, the God of pleasure, he's been known by many different names from 
all kinds of different names from ancient Mesopotamia into Greek, into, uh, into Greek religious systems, into Roman religious systems, all the way into Nordic religious systems. There is a God of pleasure. And if we run after these gods of pleasure, what will happen is sin will abound. Evil will spread and we will end up seeing things die in our life. That is what sin is. As you disrupt the cosmic order, there is a certain thing that will happen. It will start to fall apart. And what God is saying, what God is telling people here through the book of Amos is that these people are clearly running against the cosmic order that they of all people should know because God has given them his word to tell them what the cosmic order should look like. And they are trying to turn God's world upside down. They are actually turning God's world upside down. So Amos issues this warning. He says, seek the Lord and live. In fact, he says it several times in this passage. He says, seek the Lord and live, or he will sweep through the house of Joseph like a fire. He says, seek the Lord and live. Seek good and not evil that you may live. Then the Lord God Almighty will be with you just as you say he is. He repeats this over and over again. Seek the Lord and live. Seek good and live. And the particular good he's talking about actually has less to do with your personal sin choices, your personal holiness, and more to do with this battle against the injustice and, and, um, the injustice and all of the discrepancies in this world, all of the, the dissonance in this world where things are not going right for people and you are a part of that. Amos tells his readers that God who made the Pleiades and Orion, the one who turns this world from dark to light each day, that that's the God we should be seeking instead of detesting His righteous ruling at the gates and hating truth and trampling on people. But then Amos kind of answers this question in the midst of it. You know, you can ask the question like, and so what if I don't? Like, so what if I don't seek the Lord and live? What's going to happen? Like, what is God going to do? He's really kind of threatening some stuff here. Has he got anything to back this up? And in verses 16 through 24, um, he unpacks this idea of the day of the Lord. In verses 16 through 24, he starts off, Therefore, this is what the Lord, the Lord God Almighty, says. There will be wailing in all the streets and cries of anguish in every public square. The farmers will be summoned to weep and the mourners to wail. There will be wailing in all the vineyards. And then here's the reason why there will be wailing. For I, God, will pass through your midst, says the Lord. Now this is a fascinating little moment here. What God's saying is, don't make me come down there. Basically, right? Like He's saying, don't make me come down there. Or actually what He's saying more often, or more, more likely is, if you don't deal with sin, if you don't deal with injustice, and listen, people of Common Ground Church, what He's saying to you is, hey, Common Ground, if you do not do whatever you can to battle the injustices that are in this world, the discrepancies that are in this world, the, the pain that's in this world, if you do not surround yourselves, if you do not uh, surround around people who are, uh, who are falling under the weight of all of the death and destruction this world has to offer, if you don't do that, I will come down and I will take care of some business. That's what he's saying here. I will pass through your midst. Now this is interesting. See, in any situation in all of the Bible, when God shows up to take care of sin, it is not pretty. It is not pretty. And oftentimes we can really catch ourselves wondering like, oh man, God, if you were just here, if you would just, man, if you, oh, if only the Lord were here, if only Jesus was standing right here. Well, see, okay, anytime that God shows up, 
Even when he sends his messengers, right? He sends angelic beings to people. What is usually their reaction? Fear, right? Because they're going, the angels are like, whoa, 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 don't be afraid, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. Why? Because they're terrified. And you would be too if you saw an angelic being. You would fall on your face, probably wet yourself. It's not going to be pretty. And if you read the scriptures, every time people are confronted with the Lord, they fall down on their faces in total terror because that is what God's presence does is it makes us aware of the, ins- the, the discrepancies, the injustice in this world. It makes us aware of people being oppressed under death and under destruction and under cancer and under issues that are going on in their lives that are not right. People who are being taken advantage of. People who are being, who are locked in their own sin choices. People who have, uh, people who have addictions that are keeping them chained up. Like, when God shows up, we should be aware of that. And we should be aware of how much we could take care of if we just stepped up and worked a little bit. And what God is threatening here is He's actually threatening to bring the day of the Lord. And the Bible Project video again was very, very good with this. The day of the Lord. And the day of the Lord refers to actually many times in the Bible. The day of the Lord refers to many times in the Bible in which God upends the whole world. Where He pulls the rug out from everybody who's on this planet. And He's like, you know what, Israel? I'm, the day of the Lord has come. The day of the Lord is... Re, you, the day of, excuse me. The day of the Lord refers to the Exodus... The exile, revelation, the cross, any time that somebody comes in, a warring tribe comes in, even in Judges, there's oftentimes references to the day of the Lord in which He's going to bring some judging army or some warring thing or some, something's going to come in in order to upend the world. And what He's saying here is, I will be bringing the day of the Lord. I will come and walk in your midst and deal with sin if you do not deal with it. That's a kind of a chilling promise when you think about it. That God's going to flip the whole society on its head. The things that make us the most comfortable. He will flip them on their, on its head if we do not do something about the sin that is around us. This is the promise of Amos. The great day of the Lord is coming. Seek Him, follow Him, do what He does, and live. Become the people you were created to be. Reflect God's character, reflect God's nature, reflect God's word, and do that in a way where you're bringing that to the oppressed. But then these strange words come out of Amos' mouth, and this is what really struck me and took me aback. It's in verse 18. Woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. Just, Just look at that for a little bit. Woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. Why do you long for the day of the Lord? That day will be darkness, not light. And then he goes in these funny things. It will be as though a man fled from a lion and ran into a bear. And like, Look at this lion! And then... This really struck me. Because shouldn't we desire God to come and bring justice? Shouldn't we desire for God to show up for the great day of the Lord? As opposed to just the day of the Lord, the great day of the Lord, the final coming. Shouldn't we desire that? Isn't... When we look at the Scriptures, shouldn't we be longing for that day? Shouldn't we pray and wait for the coming of the Lord? Shouldn't we greatly anticipate the day in which we will see God face to face? Well, actually, so here's the deal. If you read the Bible, you read the entire of the Bible, it sounds like the way to anticipate, the way to wait for the coming of the Lord, the way to long for God to show up, the way to do that is to anticipate the coming of the Lord. It's to prepare this place for His coming. To prepare this place for His coming. 
If you go to the words of Jesus, Jesus talks about, in fact, he's just flat out leveled and asked, hey, when is the day of the Lord going to happen? His disciples ask him in Matthew chapter 24. When is the day of the Lord going to happen? And he says, well, I'm going to tell you some things. And he unleashes this whole discourse about how things are going to get really bad. And he says, and the love of many will grow cold because of unrighteousness. And he just says, like, unrighteousness, right? Like that word that we were talking about where things are getting unjust. The love of many will grow cold because of lawlessness and unrighteousness. And the gospel will go forth to the end, or to all nations, as a testimony. And then he says, and then the end will come. Then the great day will come. The day of the Lord. And what he's talking about, in fact, he couches this in the middle there in Matthew chapter 24. You can read it in your in your spare time. He couches this little statement in there. He says, but he who perseveres to the end will be saved. But he who perseveres to the end will be saved. What we're supposed to do in order to prepare this world for Jesus' coming is to help people seek justice. To help people live in righteousness. To help people know the beauty of the Lord. To call them to follow Him. To call people to love Jesus. And to begin to show them the love that Jesus has for them. And in so doing, what happens is you actually begin to flip the world upside down before God comes to flip the world upside down. That's what we're supposed to be about doing. What Amos is saying here, beyond a shadow of a doubt, is woe to you who sit around inactive, partying, enjoying your life, and never ever lifting a finger to fight for justice, to give to the needy, to help the fatherless, to seek the freedom of the oppressed, all the while yearning for Jesus to come back and deal with those people. That is what Amos is against. That's what he's warning against. He's warning against a life of people who have a lifestyle that works contrary to the cosmic order. This is why Jesus calls us to go make disciples of all nations. This is why Jesus calls us to step out and go out in faith. This is why we do things like missions. This is why we have a mission here. This is why when we call ourselves Christians and we don't fight for the needy and fight for the oppressed and fight for those who are held down by their own injustices and their own oppression and their own um, their own addictions and we don't fight for those who are battling against cancer and we don't pray for healing, when we don't do that, the world looks at us and says, yeah, right, where is your God? That's why they say that. Because we don't live like the image bearers we were supposed to be. See, we've been created by God to be His image bearers, to reflect Him, to do what He does, to fight for the good of this world. This is what it means to be a Christian. A Christian is somebody who has Christ in them. A Christian is somebody who has had their sin canceled and forgiven. A Christian is somebody who's been given the Holy Spirit of God and is no longer a slave to sin. A Christian is someone who is filled with the Holy Spirit of God and given the gifts of the Spirit for the good of the body. And as we serve one another and love one another and make this place a beautiful place of community and family, that what happens is that changes the world. A Christian is someone who has had their eyes open to see the glories of God through the power of His Word. Christian is somebody who carries the same burden for the people of this earth that God has. 
Amos says, seek the Lord and live. And what he means is not necessarily just a warning. I think it's a double meaning, right? Like seek the Lord and avoid destruction, right? That's seek the Lord and live. But I think it's also seek the Lord and find that life is there. You will live. You will feel alive. For some of you, like, uh, you know, point to the Fagerlands. For the Fagerlands, the deals and Justin Gwynn, they're going to go to the Philippines in just a little while. They're going to be confronted with the injustices of this world that we are creating. You and I, even though we're not intentionally doing it, even though we're not wanting to do it, we are creating the oppression that happens in places like the Philippines. We create that. We're partners with it. But when we seek the Lord and we go see that stuff, we feel life. You're confronted with it. You you sit there and you, you can smell the smells and see the sights and see the faces and hear the laughter of the children that you're actually working with. And what happens is life begins to flow through you in a way that you've never, ever experienced before. That's what following Jesus does when you take a step and go on mission with Him. When you go to Mexico and haul tons and tons and tons of concrete into a stinking river and we do it in a way where we are laughing and we are having a great time and we're listening to Josh go, oh, Okay, over and over and over again. When that's happening, right, you feel alive. Even when you're watching Jake pitch a or pitch a uh, shovel into a river out of pure frustration, but you feel alive. You feel alive as you follow Jesus, as you seek Him and live. It's not just about avoiding destruction. It is also about that is the life that God has ordained for you and for me. And there are opportunities everywhere for you to get moving. Whether it's going to the ends of the earth, which I hope each of you experience, or even if it's going to the edge of this earth, of this world. Remember the Chicago versus Rapid City thing? Or maybe it's just the west side, south side of Rapid City to the north side thing. Or maybe it's the from the homed to the homeless thing. Or maybe it's from the healthy to the struggling with the reality of the brokenness of our bodies. Whatever it is, reaching out to people and working and stepping inside of their lives, like that changes you. It changes you. One of the greatest things I've ever seen, Vanessa's here, so I'm going to pick on her. One of the greatest things I've ever seen, I'm not actually picking on you. One of the greatest things I ever saw was Vanessa and Jesse saying, hey, we need our house to be on the market. And like... I don't know, 50 people just descend on your house like a swarm of bees and they just little worker ants everywhere and just and Destry's like trying to manage everybody and she can't and there's Jonah says stain all over his uh, head from head to toe because he decided to like dump stain all over himself like it's crazy and it's chaos yet what did we do? We got to serve somebody who is being oppressed by the reality of this world. It's just as simple as that. Just as simple as that. Or some of you have gone out and and done some like some of you guys went out on the on the Jesus hands thing last week with Ted, and you got to step into somebody else's world. Some of you have gone out of Cornerstone and stepped into somebody else's world. Each and every week that college students are here and you get to talk to them and invite them over to your home. You step into their world, and what happens is you seek the Lord and you live. When we seek outside of ourselves and to bring justice where there is not and to bring healing where there is not and to bring righteousness where there is not. So that is what Amos is doing. He is drawing this line in the sand saying, hey, 
You are over there. You are seeking other gods and you are not living. And you will one day, God will show up and He will upend things and it's not going to be pretty and He will deal with some stuff. And you may survive that, but you're going to be living a different life. He draws that line in the sand and said, come over here, seek the Lord and live. And it doesn't matter then what changes in your circumstances because you're seeking the Lord and living. And so here's my challenge to you today. Uh, for those of you who are technology people, or for maybe you're not, what I would like you to do is at this point in time, pull out your cell phone. It's okay. And what I would like you to do is set a reminder for tomorrow, 5.24 p.m. 5.24 p.m. Okay? Some of you know how to do this. Some of you don't. And the younger people can show you how to do this. Okay? All you have to do is humble yourself and say, I want to seek the Lord and live. So can you help me put a reminder on my phone to seek the Lord? Okay, so it's 5.24 p.m. tomorrow. And what you're going to do is, I just want you to set yourself a reminder to pray Amos 5.24. Okay, Amos 5.24 is, Let justice roll on like a river, and righteousness like a never-failing stream. That's what I want you to pray. And then, when you're done praying that tomorrow, set another reminder for 524 on Tuesday. And another reminder for 524 on Wednesday. And the prayer is, let justice roll down like waters, and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream, and let it begin with me. Let it begin right here. Let it start right now. And then, what you're going to do is I want you to pay attention to what God brings up around you. Because my guess is, for some of you, what will happen is the Lord will start to rearrange your heart and rearrange your ears and rearrange your eyes and rearrange everything inside of you to be able to see injustices in a way that maybe you haven't before. Maybe you'll, I don't know, I don't know what will happen this week, but I just want you to pray every day, 524, pray Amos 524. Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream and let it begin with me. If we seek the Lord and live, I'm telling you, there will be an amazing thing that happens. This place, this place we call Common Ground, will be an amazing family as it continues to be. You will surround people and you will heal, you will bring healing where there is not and people around will say, I've never seen anything like that. In fact, I'll pick on Vanessa again. When we were over at Vanessa's house, her neighbors came over and she brought uh, pot stickers, which were awesome, um, and then like potatoes and all kinds of stuff. And it sounds like she was really curious as to why there were all of these people covered head to toe in stain. Well, one person covered head to toe in stain and all the rest of them fairly clean. Why in the world we were doing this? That is why. That is what happens when you seek the Lord and live. So may we do that. I'm going to pray. Matt's going to come up and play a song. And this song is a chance for us to be able to pray these prayers to God. Lord Jesus, we come before you asking that you would help us to be those who seek righteousness. Who seek justice. Who plead for the widows and the oppressed. Who go to those who have addiction and help them seek freedom who help those who have physical needs, uh, whether it's sickness and ailments and disease and cancer and 
everything, Lord. Help us to be those who surround those who are hurting, to pray for them, to love them, and to show them hospitality, and to show them our care. Lord, help us to be those who think outside of ourselves instead of those who simply sit back and party and live the high life all the while just waiting for You to come back and asking for You to come back so that we can keep our good life and not have to suffer anything. Lord, help us to not be those who anticipate You while we're sitting on our backsides doing nothing about the world around us. But help us to get moving. To do something to seek You and to find life. Lord, we love You and we thank You for our day. We commit our lives to You and we lay them at Your feet saying, do with us what You will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you have been blessed. Please join us again at Common Ground Church.